Monday, December 18th, 2017, and you're listening to The Lit Review, a literary podcast for the movement. My name is Monica Trinidad, and here we are at the end of our first season. Before we dive into episode 38, we want to give some love to our two incredible sponsors for making this podcast possible. This podcast is sponsored by the Critical Studies MA program at the Pacific Northwest College of Art. Because we need to talk, read, interrogate, intervene, and reimagine like never before. For more information or to apply, visit pnca.edu. And as always, special shout out to our first sponsor, the ARCA Center for Social Justice Leadership, an initiative out of Kalamazoo College, whose mission is to develop and sustain leaders in human rights and social justice through education and capacity building. In this episode, Paige and I sit down in her cozy apartment in Washington Park to recap our first lit review season and to discuss some of our favorite episodes. We have a ways to go, but in this season, we've come a long way from recording by literally talking at our computers and hoping the sound picks up enough, to now having actual microphones, microphone stands, and recorders. We wouldn't have been able to get to where we're at without the guidance of Sarah Liu, audio engineer and magic maker in non-traditional spaces like Paige and I's apartments. You might have heard Sarah Lou recently on the Nancy podcast, and if you haven't, you should definitely listen right after this episode. Thanks so much for listening to The Lit Review, for telling your friends about us, for tweeting about us, for giving us raving reviews on Apple Podcasts, and for all the epic book recommendations. Most importantly, thank you for recognizing the importance of reading and learning our histories to better shape our organizing and movement building. After this episode, we'll be back with a brand new season on Monday, January 8th, 2018. Oh, and stick around for this whole episode because we make a very special phone call to a very dear abolitionist friend who recently moved to New York City. I'm good. I'm a little sleepy. Yeah. And it's my birthday weekend. It's also, I guess it's not technically our anniversary of the Lit Review. It's been about a year. Yeah, since we started talking about it, right? Yeah. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Happy one year. Where's the champagne? Uh, (laughs) I've got coffee. (laughs) Cool. So we're here. Uh, It's episode 38. I was really hoping it'd be episode 40 to like end on that That, that, number, but mm -hmm. it's okay. We'll work through it. One day. One day. <laughs> about about three weeks from now. <laughs> um, so yeah, today's going to be a little bit of a different episode, I guess. We're not going to really talk about one book, but we're going to try to recap some of the past favorite episodes of ours. Um, not to be, you know, they were all amazing and mm-hmm. incredible, but I think we want to just pick out a few books that really stuck out with us a few few conversations that really stuck out to us i know that the number one listened to episode was actually the live episode we did with adrian marie brown that one got close to two thousand listens that's amazing i know i never thought that we would have that many people listening first of all um and i i remember when we had the idea for this and we were talking about it and the idea that we would be starting up conversations with folks like adrian marie brown and like have having people that want to come and just listen that's so dreamy to me it was like a friday night and everybody wanted to come and listen to like a person talk about a book what (laughs) yeah that was beautiful though yeah still is one of my favorite books um gotten away from our like actually 
lit review style of recording we haven't really had much uh, bottles of wine consumed no <laughs> i'm i do have rum if we need oh, okay, it okay good good rum and coffee perfect i think i really appreciate miriam for just really pushing us to do this podcast i think i've always wanted to do a podcast but always sort of felt like what am i going to talk about mm-hmm. and then you know when we threw around this idea about talking to people about books in this moment that are really relevant um, to our organizing and to our theories of change I think I was like oh yeah and you were like oh yeah let's do it you know mm-hmm. and it just it just happened and it just clicked and I think if it wasn't for Miriam I don't think that we would have been doing this I don't know I remember we were at that it was after Trump won and um, there were all those protests and we had that meeting and we were at a co- it was the meeting where we had to move like eight times right. and um, yeah we were at that coffee shop and yeah I, I it, it felt like one of those things that oh that's a great idea it's never gonna happen right. and but there was something about yeah just like that push and then you really were like let's do this and then the spreadsheet started and I was like this is really gonna happen <laughs> um, and here we are and yeah. Here we are. So the first episode I really want to talk about is Queer Injustice. Uh, It was with Joey Joey. Vogel. Um, It was episode number 16. Mm -hmm. Um, The full book is called Queer Injustice, The Criminalization of LGBT People in the United States. Um, And it was co-written with Joey, Andrea Ritchie, who we will talk about later, Mm -hmm. and then Kay Whitlock. Um, And it uh, basically talked a lot about... um, It went through years of their research and, uh, you know, on-the-ground activism around queer and trans historical experiences um, with the criminal legal system. And I thought it was a really timely episode because at that time, it was it was June, um, the end of June when we recorded, um, there was a lot of pride parade disruptions That's happening right. across the country, right? And um, so I think it was really important to sort of revisit that history, yeah. that legacy of disruption, especially pride and especially Chicago. Uh, and I had no idea that Joey was involved in that. Right. That's the thing. It's like, I, that, that's one of the few books that I had, that I had read before. Um, and it, that it has been very important to me and my developing my own analysis. And Joey has been extremely important in my own like leadership, I guess, and, and personal growth or whatever. Um, but I didn't know, like th- this was like this beautiful uniting of both yeah. of those things in one where I was like, Oh shit, you were like, you were doing rad shit. Yeah. I, I, I learned, and I, th- the thing that really blows my mind and this, this, ho- the summer, this summer was beautiful, mm-hmm. but I, I, and, and I think, um, this came up in many episodes, especially when we talk to folks that have been organizing now for decades is just, we have been doing this work for mm-hmm. so long and there are so many examples. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the details, but there was that one example of like the pride parade. I think they disrupted that. Dick the, Divine. Dick Divine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now it's like a fait accompli, but those gay pylons that got put on in Boys Town, we were not happy with because it kind of Disneyfies the entire Boys Town. And so, and we were also, as Queer to Left, really just angry at how commercialized, you know, um, Pride had become. And, you know, everything was a coupon to get a drink here or to buy something there. And so one year we came up with our own set of coupons to pass out. It was like get a jail out of, get out of jail free coupon or free lawyer for your, your custody 
battle for your children coupon. And we then created these big pink dollar signs um, that we, we went early in the morning and hung up on the gay pylons to like sort of identify like the, the evils of gay capital. I don't think that really worked, honestly, as, it, as I think people thought, oh, great, gay dollars, you know? <laughs> but, you know, um, you know we, then, I, um, we then had a, a puppet that we dressed up in gap clothing and put an HRC hat on and we're just kind of railing against HRC at that time the human rights campaign um, another time in 2003 you know we many people in Quirito left were also involved in the struggle for justice for the birch torture survivors you know and again I'd say it's like within the last you know 20 30 years that we've seen politicians sort of take over pride and they're always the leaders of the contingents. And you know, you have to suffer through watching all the politicians before you can even get to like all the dance music and stuff, right? And you know, Dick Devine, who was then our Cook County State's Attorney, was in the parade. And Dick Devine was someone who not only failed to stop the torture as our, a former state's attorney, but he left the state's attorney's office and he went into private practice. And while in private practice, he represented John Burge and two of the other police officers who, who were and defended the Burge against Andrew Wilson's civil rights lawsuit. So he was paid money by the city of Chicago to defend John Burge in this case claiming that Burge and others tortured Andrew Wilson. Dick Devine then became, then was elected to be our Cook County State's Attorney, and at that time, this was in the 1996, he then fought and resisted any of the Burge torture survivors on Illinois' death row, who had organized themselves, called themselves the Death Row Ten, from getting any post-conviction relief, getting any hearings, or to try to get their convictions and death sentences overturned. Dick Devine refused to admit that there was this racist systemic pattern and practice of torture by these white detectives, including Burge. So queer to the left, we were just so frustrated. And we were like, OK, we've had it with Dick Devine being in this parade. He doesn't belong here. And so we teamed up with this group known as the Chicago Anti-Bashing Network, which is now the Gay Liberation Front um, with Andy Thayer. And at that time, that group was protesting the fact that Dick Devine wasn't prosecuting um, cops who had killed gay individuals. That wasn't our shtick, that was his shtick, you know? But we teamed up, and what we did was, right before the parade started off, we jumped in front of Dick Devine's contingent. And we held signs saying, this dick is not so divine. <laughs> and we then proceeded to march in front of him the entire way, wow. passing out literature, you know, shame, shame, you know, telling people he shouldn't be in our, you know, our march, he should be voted out of office. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, a lot of people started to boo and hiss at his contingent. And you know, there are some people who drink a little too much at Pride, so they were just like, same, you know, they were just, you know. <laughs> and so he ended up, I, you know, um, leaving the parade, and his contingent never came back to the Pride parade again. Yeah, and I I remember appreciating that it 
the way that this book does a good job too of showing how it filters into all levels of the prison industrial mm-hmm. complex, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's both like on the beat, right, in terms of cops, but all the way through the courts, right, and mm-hmm. then all and then how we organize prisons, right, right. Um, mm-hmm. and what and how they control bodies and gender, um, and and you know it's one of those really great moments though where D- Joey, I think. Better than so many folks, right? I, uh, is able to be a lawyer, right, mm-hmm. um, and have that really elite knowledge, but do so in a way that helps our communities, yeah. um, and to kind of talk through what resistance has looked like in the mm-hmm. courts, and yeah, that was I was really struck, and it was just really funny. And speaking of Joey, I think the next episode that we want to talk about. Yeah, with because and- Andrea yeah, was there. Yeah, yeah. Andrea was yeah. there too. It was a part of the joy, <laughs> and then we were like, wait, Andrea, you're writing a book. Yeah, you should. Be on right. our podcast when the book comes out. Yeah, right. that was how, how that seed got planted. Yeah, because at mm-hmm. first we were like, oh, you should talk with Joey on this podcast. Yeah. And Andrea's like, no, I'll set this one out. Uh-huh. I have a new book coming out. And we're like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. Let's yes. talk about that one. So, yeah, that was episode, let's see, episode 21. Okay. Um, we talked with Andrea Ritchie mm-hmm. about Invisible No More, police violence against black women and women of color. Yeah. That was an incredible conversation, a really hard conversation right because we're talking about story after story Mm -hmm. after story of um violence against um, black women and women of color at the hands of police um but i think this conversation was really important just like queer injustice i think that the parallels is that they were uncovering these invisibilized stories of like you know we don't really talk about queer and trans people and police violence we don't really talk about black women and women of color and police violence Mm -hmm. right so they were like uncovering these narratives and these statistics at the same time, um, and placing these stories of, of women like Sandra Bland yeah. and Rakia Boyd um, at the forefront of, of, of police violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, it was a really powerful conversation. Yeah. And at this point, what was really profound to me is at this point, we'd, you know, we'd interviewed Joey. We also, I had done an interview with Kathy Cohen talking about the boundaries of blackness. Mm-hmm. And I think the, these ones, they go really well together. Mm-hmm. They help the ideas that are in there about marginalization and like how it's not just one group is the oppressor, one group's the oppressed. Like there's mm-hmm. there's overlap, right? There's power within our communities that's mm-hmm. that's disp- uh, concentrated. These things. This is not like a. Also, the police do this. This is yeah. like this is endemic. This is built into built the in. system of policing, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. she's able to really historicize it and ground it. Be like, this is exact. This is what it's meant to be doing, right? Um, and I also, both in the interview and in the book, um, I've since read most of it. Have seen how she she just her, like her introduction is one of my favorite introductions of a book ever. It's it's just it's weirdly humble I don't know how to explain like the way she she sort of names who she is because yeah. we've talked about that there are some books that we've read that I hate how much the author puts inserts themselves yeah, yeah. Um, and she kind of claims like this so this is who I am this is where yeah. I'm coming from yeah it's a beautiful intro people should read it yeah but yeah that and then the resistance like that was when she talked about the projections on oh, police buildings and I was yes. like what I, I want to do that and we were like we need to do that yes I feel like there's there's other creative examples I've heard of. I, I didn't talk about it, I don't think, in maybe I talked about it in this book, but I definitely talked about it in my article in the um, Color Violence Anthology of a group in Brooklyn called Sista to Sista of Young Black and Brown Women who started video documenting police sexual harassment of young women in their neighborhood. And they had a hard time catching it on film, and that's part of the problem, right? Like, it happens really fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't really tell it's happening until you see a young woman walk away from an encounter with a police officer with a particular kind of look on her face, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe then she doesn't want to talk about mm-hmm. it. Like, it's not something you can document as a cop watch very easily, right. but they did their best. 
And then they combined that with a public event where they also acted out skits of the things, experiences they'd had mm. with police officers that were like sexual harassment. And they screened the video that they made on the wall opposite a police precinct, actually, um, at a street fair yeah. and did the skits so at dope. a street fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so this is exactly why yeah. I wrote this, because yeah. I feel like you should know this yeah, exactly. and, and you should know them, right? Yeah. And even though they're not active um, at this time, because mm -hmm. I feel like it's like a your siblings in the mm -hmm. in the work or, or um, you know comrades and so they did this and the community was outraged and it was very embarrassing for the precinct mm -hmm. and um, it also led to other conversations because wow. then the young women were like we should start projecting exactly videos oh, that's onto their buildings Sorry, exactly yes, exactly no this is why that see yeah. the book is working um, <laughs> success um, so. So they did that, but then also the conversations that sparked was that the you know the the community members, the young men in the community were like, "This is fucked up. Like, you know, you just can't be doing this to our sisters." And this is you know the man, and they were really mad, and they were really amped. And then the young women were like, "You know, you can do this to us too, right? Mm. You don't have a gun. You don't have the power to arrest me. So it's a different experience." But uh, can we talk about that? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, maybe the conversation wasn't so lit anymore, right? Okay. <laughs> it wasn't right. so hype anymore. And right. I feel like that. That's part of the reason that we don't hear about it and um, because sexual violence just generally is mm -hmm. hidden and suppressed. Um, people don't report it when it happens, when the perpetrator is anybody, much mm -hmm. less you know the people you're supposed to report it to. But um, so that's, that's an example of organizing I found that was really amazing because it also led to a whole other kind of conversation about just the spectrum of violence that young mm -hmm. women of color were experiencing in that neighborhood. And she also has this really important quote that stuck out to me a lot, and I, I like took notes on it around when she's talking about policing, how how policing is racially gendered. Mm -hmm. um, she talks about how we never talk about police sexual violence, right? But it's the second most frequently reported form of police misconduct after excessive force. Mm -hmm. But it's not the second most frequently talked about. There's a incident of police sexual violence every five days, mm -hmm. um, and that just also blew my mind too, right? Because you we have this big statistic around every 28 hours a black person is killed by the by police or vigilante, right? But then when you hear that every five days a police officer sexually assaults somebody, yeah, like that's yeah. fucking yeah. that's heavy, it's deep, and yeah. and so yeah, so I I think that's. That was something I took away from this conversation for sure. Right. And and I think for me that tied really well into also the interview that we did with Miriam Kaba mm -hmm. uh, about At the Dark End of the Street, where wow. again you see this long history of sexual violence in that book specifically against black women. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, oh gosh, that interview. Uh, mm. I mean, that, that book, again, that was one of the, uh, the other few that I had read. And it, it just totally reframes the civil rights movement for, mm. for folks that, if you haven't listened to it, please listen to that episode and read that book. Um, where she starts off by talking about Reese Taylor um, and explaining that it is through the organizing of a community around Reese Taylor in defense of, of her after she's gang raped by a group of white men um, and only I think it was two years ago gets like an apology from the state. Mm -hmm. um, never, yeah, no, no semblance of justice, right. but she, uh, that out of that organizing effort, um, Rosa Parks, right, who's a secretary for the NAACP, how she comes in and she creates the infrastructure that then allows for things like King, when he arrives, helping with the boycott, right, to, to 
there's already a foundation that's been built and it's mm-hmm. out of the defense of black women mm-hmm. in in relationship just to sexual violence that's going on in the south and that that's not when we talk about when we talk about Jim Crow people like I remember in, in high school learning about it and it was about lunch counters right and mm-hmm. that and and maybe sometimes you would talk about how white people also were like there was some physical violence yeah. we weren't talking about this meant black women getting raped yeah. all the time yep. um and it being known that that was happening. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate Miriam for always giving us historical context mm-hmm. to every struggle that we're in, right? Because this was at the time where Brisha Meadows um, needed our yeah. support. I mean, still needs our support, but really needed our support. Um, um, she was try- They were trying to raise $70,000 uh, to cover costs for um, mental health treatment and, you know, legal aid and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I just always appreciate Miriam for really contextualizing you know, this, this, this legacy and this history of the criminalization, Mm -hmm. um, and violence against black women and women of color for, um, since policing existed. Mm -hmm. I I think both Andrea and Miriam are really good at, yeah, they always, they tie back to history and they Mm -hmm. also always make it relevant to the present. Mm -hmm. Right. And they, this, this, this idea of like inhabiting our histories is a quote Mm -hmm. I picked up from Angela Davis. Right. Um, and, and they're all, Mm -hmm. there's just always, Every conversation I've had with them or times I've heard them talk, I think they, they do a really great job of that. Um, and in a way that I don't think they're saying that, oh, things are the exact same and we just need to do exactly what Rosa Parks did and that'll we'll have the same thing. Like they're able to, but they they look, tap into that as a tradition that we can learn from. It'd be really cool. We should actually call we Miriam. We should call her. I think that yeah. would be really that'd cute. That would be cute. Let's, we, do it. let's call Miriam. Channeling Miriam. Like I hope she answers the phone. That would be cute. Miriam! Miriam! Oh, here's my cat. Basil, want to make an appearance? We're calling Miriam. She's smelling the microphone. (laughs) Hi, Miriam. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. (laughs) We're calling you to talk about the Lit Review. Are you excited? I'm so excited. I'm excited beyond belief. Do I sound like excited? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it sounds like we just woke you up. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I've been awake for quite 30 hours. I hardly sleep, so oh. I've been up. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm doing well, though. I've just, uh, I've just been really, really busy for the last couple of weeks. It's all that Hallmark, oh, Hallmark TV you're watching. So we wanted to actually ask you a few questions, if you have a minute. Um, one of our questions is, do you have a favorite episode of The Late Review? How do you think about that for a second? I, there are several that I really enjoyed this year. Um, particularly, I think I really loved uh, the uh, one that Bill Ayers did. Um, that episode I found to be just maybe it was the time at which it was uh, you know it was done or maybe I just needed it I needed to hear those words and you know kind of what he was talking about at the time Um, but it was really powerful for so many reasons I appreciated his kind of focus on history and his focus on uh, kind of cult and the ideas about demanding big things, you know, all things that I care a lot about myself. And so I I just found that to be really kind of an affirming and a hopeful uh, conversation about his book, Demand the Impossible. So I really, really liked that episode. Um, I think another episode or series of episodes that I really appreciated were the ones with Annie Rushing. 
um, and I think Paige was the one who did, um, and it was about, I don't know, four or five, in four or five parts, um, and I just have a lot of respect for Fanny, and, you know, having, she's such a long-time uh, organizer, you know, a historian of movement, and it was informative. I learned things um, in that conversation, uh, and she discussed a whole bunch of different books. So it was great. I loved that series of conversations. So those are two that jumped out for me um, that were from this year. Yeah, those are those stood out to me as well. And I remember you actually suggested that we talk to Fanny. Um, and I didn't know who she was at the time. And that interview, I mean, I we, I think the recording, it's split up into five parts. And I think it adds up to under two hours. But I was, I talked to her for four or five hours. And it, it, it yeah, I mean, it was one of the most important conversations of my recent memory. I learned so much. Um, she, I remember at one point asking her, so what do you think organizing is? And that definition, I mean, I, I had it written down on big poster board in my living room for like most of the summer because uh, it really helped me ground myself in, in thinking through what what is what's the difference between organizing and all these other options that we have um and she yeah and she would talk about you know like Ella Baker as like this friend of her she's like oh yeah and I was in Ella's apartment exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but it, I think that's what also makes all of this so wonderful is that um you know these are folks who are alive now who were actively involved in kind of the modern black, you know, black freedom movement who are luckily still with us today and can talk to us about Ella Baker like as a contemporary. It's amazing. You know, when you think about it, it's amazing. Um, so, yeah, so we really have to have those conversations, and it's wonderful that it got recorded in the way that it did because now a whole bunch of other people into, you know, into the future are going to be able to hear what, uh, what she was talking with you about, and they're going to be able to learn from it, too. So it's really wonderful. Yeah, and can you speak a little bit more on that whole piece around why this podcast is important? A year later, right, I think we had just talked a little bit about how it was because of you that we started this podcast, really, and just giving us some, you know, motivation to, to do this project that, you know, felt in you know, infeasible to us because, you know, we're like, we've never recorded a podcast. I don't even know. We didn't even own, you know, equipment, <laughs> you know, like we were just like, we, okay, let's, let's try this thing. We, you know, and the first episode, I remember we were just like talking into our computers. Like we didn't even have microphones or anything. We we're just yeah. doing this thing. Um, and I think, I constantly, at least on a daily basis now, I have people coming up to me being like, oh, you're Monica, you do the lit review. That's so cool. I listen to that all the time, you know, and so it's just incredible to to think about the reach we've had. And um, yeah, I just, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are like a year later into this podcast, like how, it, you know, do you think it's still relevant? Do you think it's still important to do? Should we keep doing it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, of course, I would say you should keep doing it. I, you know, I love books. Um, they're just really important parts of my life and of my uh, kind of, you know, political development and thinking. Um, and so I, I, I can't think of a better way um, to be able to kind of, you know, people don't have time in so many ways to read the idea of kind of having uh, a short conversation about books is not new. But I think the idea of having those conversations with people who are organizers is. 
um, and it really is an innovation. So I think it's really important to keep doing. I also was thinking about um, that, you know, that we had this conversation right after the election last year about, like, what has changed in the world and what is needed now more than ever. And I remember, you know, that conversation around political education being central and critical to being able to actually win, um, that we need more opportunities for people to learn together and think together in order to be able to eventually win together. And so this podcast is just the perfect uh, kind of encapsulation of the possibilities of political education in the 21st century, doing it online, um, you know, doing it basically, you all didn't have quote-unquote training and expertise in audio making or podcast making, but you do have training and expertise in organizing and the ability to be able to communicate ideas and make messages. And, you know, you know, and Monica, you're an artist, so uh, you have a, a, an ability to vision um, and to think about things beyond the present. All those things, you know, are skills that are adaptable to multiple things and to multiple ways of being in the world. I think that's important for people to hear and understand, too, is that you don't have to have all of these technical skills to be able to make something in the world. You just need some basic skills that allow you to be, that are transferable to everything that allow you to be able to make stuff. And, and that's also something I think uh, that should give people a sense of hopefulness is that it didn't take a million dollars. You now have, I think, a couple of sponsors, you know, and that's great that you should have more sponsors and more people should come on board because a lot of people are listening and more people can be listening, you know, um, into the future. But it just tells you everything you need to know. It's a metaphor in some ways for organizing as well, which is we need resources, but often we organize with very few, um, except for our ingenuity, our ability to message and talk, our ability to connect with each other and build relationships and that the technical stuff that we learn, we can learn. Anybody can learn. Um, and so I think it's just a wonderful metaphor for how to um, make stuff in the world and to be makers. Um, and that's what organizers are in lots of ways, is makers in the world. Um, you know, we make space. We help people to come together and realize our collective power. We strategize and create visions of things that, currently don't exist and think about how to make them come into being, right? And so all that is a metaphor in some way for the way in which you approach the show and now, you know, things you've made. Well, thank you so much. Before we before we say goodbye, do you have any books that you hope we get covered um, in the next year of, of interviews? Yes, I have a million books. I always <laughs> have a million books. What a question. It's really funny because I... Um, I'm I'm working on a project right now where I I have to read a lot of stuff because I'm I'm trying to get a better handle around things that are uh, Chicago focused you know stuff right now. So um, so because of that, there are a whole bunch of new biographies out about Black women, and I I just I keep telling people there's so much we don't know about Black women in the archive and our histories and all this other stuff. But all these new books have come out literally in the last two years. 
that I want people to read. So I would say you got to get somebody to talk about, um, especially, you know, both of you are in Chicago, to talk about um, this book by Marcia Walker McWilliams called Reverend Addie Wyatt, um, Faith and the Fight for Labor, Gender, and Racial Equality. And I think it came out last year, late last year. Um, but it's about this incredible labor organizer from Chicago named Addie Wyatt. And it, you learn through the kind of her trajectory, you know, she comes into Chicago during the Great Migration uh, period, and you see her, you know, she dies only, like, in, 19, in 2015 or something like that. So she was alive for, like, a whole span of history. She did so, so much, and she's so unknown, um, but she's so central to, like, why we have the city we have and the work we that you know, any progress that have been made for black people in the city of Chicago and beyond. So people should read that book, and you maybe should have, the you know, Marcia on or somebody who read it as an organizer, labor organizer. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just started the new book um, by Jacqueline Jones called Goddess of Anarchy, The Life and Times of Lucy Parsons, American Radical. Um, and it's so, you know, there's only one biography written about um, Lucy Parsons, and it was written and published in 1976 and reissued in the 1990s um, by Haymarket. It's not a very good book, the, init- you know, <laughs> the initial biography, but it's an important book because it has a whole bunch of archival information in there. And, you know, we didn't really know that much about Lucy Parsons, but she's so important. Um, you know, she denied her blackness her entire life, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of consternation about that. Um, but um, Jasmine Jones brings actually new information to figure out finally, you know, what is her background? You know, she's born to an enslaved black woman in Virginia. You know, all these years people were talking about her as Mexican and Native and all these other things. And it's like, no, you know, she was born to an enslaved person. She was born to enslave herself. Uh, enslaved herself, sorry. Um, so, yeah, so I just think it's really interesting, and that's a book to look um, I'm loving, I just finished a book by Ashley Farmer called Be Making Black Power, How Black Women Transformed an Era. That's brand new. That just came out this last month. Um, and I just love it. It's really about the intellectual history of black women um, that predate, you know, that we think about black power in the 1960s. And uh, Ashley Farmer really locates black power in the 1920s, really, beginning to think about being socialist and communist black women um, who were radical black women of that period who really laid the groundwork for the later black power movement that we think of as so masculine but that has such, uh, black women have such an impact in shaping intellectually, ideologically, and practically. And then in the final book, I would tell people to get it from that just came out from my piece, Gilliard, which I'm reading right now, called Louise Thompson, A Life of, uh, of Struggle for Justice. Um, and Louise Thompson is probably one of my favorite, um, just, you know, my favorite people uh, in terms of like, thinking about people I think of as touchstones in the world. She was, like, just, I mean, if you think about a life led where you are, you know, married to people who are, like, artists, and then you marry William Patterson, and you are, you know, part of 
that whole history of the communism and, and earlier than that of socialism and your friends and growing up with W.E.B. Du Bois and, you know, as your mentor and you're, like, traveling to Russia and you're, like, you know, on the red list, you know, on, on you're targeted by the uh, McCarthy era and then you come out of that, you live a long life, you know, you're in Malcolm X thinks you're amazing, you know, like all these things, right, <laughs> about this incredible black woman um, who lives this in huge life, right, um, even in a, in a very, very segregated, persecuting kind of environment, um, but she still had this life that was just amazing, and I want more people to know who she is, um, and she's, you know, a real touchstone for thinking about the experience of being black in the 20th century, so... Yeah. Those are some of the people I'm reading. Thank you. We Dang. will write that up and look for folks to interview. Yeah. I love it. And you'll and you'll have to be on our show again. You know I'm always happy to be on shows talking about books. Are you kidding? <laughs> Anytime. You know, the other podcast that I listen to all the time is the Delete Your Account. And yeah. you're you're a guest uh, host on that, so I'm a little jealous of that, but <laughs> I, I I love it. It's a really good podcast. Everyone should go listen to it. Yes, um, everybody should definitely listen to Delete Your Account, especially when I'm co-hosting. Not yeah. to say that people should not listen to it at other times, but I'm just saying, you know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Miriam. We really appreciate you, and thanks for um, answering our random phone call. <laughs> no problem. Absolutely. Happy holidays to both of you. You too. Happy holidays. Okay, bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Oh my God, I love Miriam so much. Ah, uh, the best. I love how, like, just not grumpy, but just very, she's just like, hi. Yeah. How can, what do you want? <laughs> like, how can I help you? I didn't get the questions before. Yeah. She just, did. She really didn't she get really the didn't. questions nope. before. And the other one that she mentioned, you know, Bill Ayers. Yes. Uh, and uh. so people don't realize, like, sometimes we ask folks to be on the show sometimes really last minute. Like, we're figuring out our groove still. Like, we've kind of got the sound figured out. Yes, we started without Come microphones. Come with us in yeah. two hours, please. <laughs> what are you doing right now? Um, and Bill was one of those that, yeah, like, we, we uh, I reached out without a lot of notice, and he was super down, mm-hmm. and Google sent him way far west, and I still don't know what was going on there. I remember that. Um, and you know what was happening that morning, right? Was the No Cop Academy That's right. Take over. Yeah. And that's, oh, okay, before we talk about how I'm amazing that interview was like also shout out to this podcast for creating a sub archive of like the things that are going on like I didn't realize that was happening but yeah like we had pride Mm -hmm. then we had um and then what was the other one we were just talking about that was going on at the time um Brisha Meadows yes right so like these efforts are and and that was archived mm -hmm. sub archived yeah that's really cool um, so he came and, and at this all at the same time, our teens were working with our oldest junior members of Asada's Daughters to do this train takeover for No Cop Academy that then Chance would go on to, to retweet and blow our minds and our hearts wide open. Thank you, Chance. When I think about social change, the only and I, the only thing I think about is fire from below. That is. I don't think, if you look, take even a glance at history, Lyndon Johnson passed the most far-reaching civil rights legislation since Reconstruction. He was a cracker from Texas. He was not part of the black freedom movement. He responded to the black freedom movement. But if you go back and look, Martin Luther King wasn't asking for a meeting with Johnson. Johnson was asking for a meeting with Martin Luther King. And there's a reason, because fire was coming from below. 
And that's what brings about change. Yes, there was a politician there who was effective and responsive, but that's that would never have happened. He didn't have a change of heart. We act as if today, if we could get the right candidate in with the right heart, if we could convince the person that, to change their mind, then everything would be better. Absolutely false. Franklin Roosevelt wasn't part of the labor movement, but he responded. Abraham Lincoln, most tellingly, was not only never belonged to an abolitionist party, but you've probably never read his first inaugural address. The second inaugural address is the one that's in the civics books and in the history books, because that one could have been written by Frederick Douglass. The first inaugural address, he basically genuflects in front of the slave owners and says, I won't disrupt your enterprise. That's a stupid address. That's, that's history rolled over that one. But <laughs> do you think Lincoln just changed his heart? He changed his heart when Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman and John Brown did what they did and never let up. And that's what changes the world. So our job is not to fall into the trick bag of saying if we could get the right mayoral candidate, if we could just get behind the right person for president, all would be well. That's just a false that's a, a false trap. And so we can't go that way. I think we we demand of ourselves to rethink education, to rethink healthcare, to rethink policing and prisons and war. And when we demand that of ourselves and do the serious rethinking and build a movement that can carry that new thinking forward, that's when the world will change. Yeah, but I, I remember that Monday being really just awful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and I felt really cynical. Like it was, mm. there's been a lot of despair, but that was one of those moments where I was just like, everything's burning. Yeah. Like, like this world is shit, it's falling right. apart. And I had just had this conversation with Bill Ayers, but to re I re-listened to it because it was that mm -hmm. uplifting mm -hmm. and helpful. Um mm. I, I, it's really, I think you and I, one of the reasons we get along is we both have weird feelings about feelings. <laughs> um, and that's great. I'm going to quote, that's going to be our quote on the Lit Review. Yeah. We get along because we have feelings about feelings. <laughs> yep. Um, so you can analyze that, whatever. But it's, and, and, uh, and there's something about, like, the, the demand, the impossible, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and this, we have this pressure to, to pull our politics back to the center or like to, to, to mm -hmm. like de-radicalize them in order to get wins. Um, and that pressure is real, right? Because we're, you know, I think the opposition is sort of creating this confusion and creating this chaos and, and so that we can become confused and numb. Yeah. And I think that Bill's conversation was just a, a, a really good reminder that, you know, no, we're doing the right thing. We're on the right track. Mm -hmm. We don't have to compromise our politics, you know? And I think... I, I find myself constantly asking people, like, I think, I, yeah, we asked Bill and we asked, like, I asked Angela Davis, um, like, well, what do you think about the No Cop Academy campaign? Mm -hmm. Like, how, like, is that part, is that abolition? Like, is mm -hmm. that part about, like, co like, constantly questioning, you know, where we're at and trying to hear from, you know, our mentors and advisors around this and them being like, no, you're, you're, this is, this is the work. Yeah. This, you're, this is that, that step towards abolition, mm -hmm. right? You're demanding a, um, a divestment and then a, in harmful things and then a reinvestment in mm -hmm. ourselves and our communities. Um, so I think that was just another piece that really, um, 
Maeve is one of my top favorite like yeah. podcasts this year. I just we just needed that that boost, yeah. energy. We yeah. needed that. It was it, it was really exactly it was energizing. Yeah. That's a great word for it. Yeah. That moment too, at the end, he's ta- he does the Luxembourg letter where he says oh, yeah. we, we need you need to be a, a I think it was a mensch. I think is how you say mm-hmm. it. Or and he's like he was just talking about this letter and how the, it starts off with her being like stop whining. <laughs> then we laughed really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, stop whining. Then mm-hmm. be a mensch. Um, anyway, yeah, and, and, but. And it's, it's so perfect because it, this connects back, right? I'm often struck with just how remarkable – so I've avoided studying slavery for a really long mm-hmm. time. Um, I remember in high school it being just this awful uh, – I hated the, the curriculum. Um, and, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, we – the, but the, we talked about a big part of why we even started this podcast is around Black Reconstruction, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and I think one of the things that's that I really struggle to appreciate and understand is uh, recognizing that like when when enslaved peoples, first of all, the, the re under, relearning how slavery did end or chattel slavery was abolished um, through the agency and organizing of black people, black mm-hmm. enslaved people, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, learning that history has been really helpful um, and, and, and profound. But then also, like, that that was, like, a demand of the impossible. Like, mm-hmm. you're, tra- you're mm-hmm. challenging everything about the economy and how it's structured. I mean, that's generations of people mm-hmm. were born and died in this system that there was no reason to ever think that it would yeah. end. Yeah. And then you have this moment of possibility. And then we learn when we talked to Nathan and Debbie (laughs) of what happened. Um, But yeah, that, uh, as he was talking, it really connected back to me that there's something that even though the book had nothing, it didn't, I don't think it talks about slavery. There's so many connections that I'm making across the people that we're talking to Mm -hmm. and that I see there is like, there's common lessons that are in here. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is that, yeah, like the history of changes is, I think he says it's, it's, it's the fire from below, Mm -hmm. right? Um, is something that he says, and then, uh, and it's it's abs- absurd demands mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. are like, absolutely not. Why would you even say that? Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that we recorded our first episode a year ago? Yeah, it was a year. It was like yeah. a year ago last month. Uh huh. And then we didn't release it until March of this right. year. Right. We were smart, so we like we got a bunch <laughs> so that we knew we could do it yeah. and then started releasing yep. yep um but this was the first recording and it was so yeah. the well black reconstruction mm-hmm. uh, which actually was episode two because we released the other one we, yeah i don't know why, why we did, we did that? that i don't know i don't know <laughs> why we did that. but black reconstruction was episode two and it was with nathan ryan from the grassroots collaborative and then debbie southhorn who's mm-hmm. actually sitting right over here uh, doing lots of work as usual. <laughs> that um, was we recorded it at y'all's place, right? It was my and there was, you could hear the hamster every oh, now hamster. and then. Yeah, our ham. We Debbie, it was our hamster that just passed away. Yeah, um, but that hamster was running on its wheel, mm-hmm. and we were like, "Shh." <laughs> but I really like the the little sounds. It's cute. I should go back and hear that. Yeah, Aww. yeah. One of the things I just can't get out of my mind and couldn't shake it in, when the first time I went through these 700 pages was the description of this massacre in New Orleans uh, in 1866. It was a convention that had been called. I mean, a big thing. So after black folks were emancipated, quote unquote, right, um, the, they still didn't have the vote and the right to vote. That didn't come for several years. So some 
formerly enslaved folks were able to get into office and, and elected office in this time period because in some places they were being allowed to vote, but not in every place. And so this was a huge question. This was a big political question. Like, white folks were still not ready to let this happen in the South. And so this is a convention in New Orleans, Louisiana in 1866. So technically the Civil War has supposedly ended. There's still federal troops present. And they're going to have a convention around whether or not black people in that state should be enfranchised. And they call for it. Most of the legislators didn't even show up. So it's mostly interested black people who live nearby come to watch it and see what's going to be talked about in the convention hall of the state government at that time. And the mayor gets his head of police chief, the mayor happens to be a member of like the White Knights, gets, gets all of the police to put on their white handkerchiefs and they go out and they massacre everyone in that hall. They chase people down the streets and kill them. Like no white people were killed, only the black people observing and a few black states people who had been ordered. But that's commonplace in this period, right? Mm -hmm. And I hate to describe the story because it's like terrifying mm -hmm. and bone chilling. You're like, with the... Wait, what? Like, imagine somebody walking into the state legislature, shooting people up and following them down the street. Like, that's the kind of open violence that's happening all over the South, constantly. And yet, at the same time, black folks are still being like, nah, fuck you, we're going to govern. And we're going to do this. And we're, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it was chaos. It was mass chaos. And, and the book really outlines in different states what the stakes were. So mm -hmm. what was the situation like in the Carolinas versus in Florida okay. versus in Georgia versus in Texas? That's what the middle 300 or so places are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I tell my friends that it's like 19th century C-SPAN because <laughs> he, he'll, he'll go and he'll be like, I'm never going to remember what happened in, in Alabama in 1871. Mm -hmm. um, but it still paints this picture of like, yeah, this was not like a pretty time period. And again, could have been different, but yeah. it's important to actually name how massively violent this was. We recently got a chance to sit down with Frank Chapman, yep. um, which episode will be coming out in January. Uh -huh. Stay tuned. Um, but we had no idea what book he was going to talk about. <laughs> and we were just like, all right, Frank, let's go. Mm -hmm. And he walks into Paige's door and he's carrying Black Reconstruction and Paige just shouts, Monica, you're going to be so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes, it's our part two. Yes, we needed to do we a, part a part two. two right? That was always the plan. Because yep. um, I know in part one, you know, Debbie and Nathan were talking a lot about like what what was Reconstruction mm -hmm. and, and, and what were some of the gains made by black people at that time. And then also what is the potential of Reconstruction, mm -hmm. right? Whereas Frank gets a little bit more into like the... The economics yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've, we could probably interview a new person every year mm -hmm. about black reconstruction and have different takes. First of all, because it's massive <laughs> um, and it's that important. Yeah. But but yeah, it, 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 that's what I like. This book, this podcast isn't trying to say here is what this book is about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because there are like, I remember we talked when we, sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place. When we talked to Eve about Underground mm -hmm. Railroad, right? We ne Which I don't think you've read that book, but she, we never talked about like two of our favorite characters. Somehow we just like for, <laughs> didn't mention the, the slave catcher that's trying to get him and like this weird little boy that follows him everywhere. Anyways. Um, and like, so we, we, but that the conversation captures a moment of like what really stood out. And so when talking to Frank, I, I thought it was interesting that for him, 
he talked a lot about the economics of it, and he's a, a, a he's Marx, a Marxist, mm-hmm. um, and then but also he focused a lot more on. I remember he had a lot more examples of like these are specific ex- things that Black people were able to achieve, and mm-hmm. and then and then if you go back to Debbie and Nathan, you hear and this is how they were destroyed. Mm-hmm. But I think there was an emphasis more on like the repression that was taking place in that first episode, mm-hmm. whereas with Frank, he was like. And it makes sense because he does community control of the police, right? Like, he was all about, these are examples of of how black people were able to create, like, he talks about, well, you'll hear it, but you'll hear it, you'll hear it. Um, Lots to look forward to. Debbie, did you want to say something? I mean, I think it also just spoke to the time. Like, we recorded that podcast right after the election, before Mm -hmm. the inauguration, so we're thinking about sort of the, the emergence of at least these visible white supremacists, like overt yep. movements regaining power and so mm-hmm. it, like making those links to like the ways that the gains of black reconstruction were repressed by like white vigilante terror like i think we're much more like palatable palatable what's the right at the tip of your tongue it was much more um it was just on everybody's minds in yeah. a way that now that's just every day. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, right. I mean, it yeah. still is, but. Yep. You know, someone, <laughs> Debbie, said that they were going to make a zine. True. Uh, you did. <laughs> I think we have a, a recorded statement of you saying that. There was supposed to be some spark notes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Waiting on that zine still. This is such an amazing project. It I'm is. so happy that we're doing this. You know, I. I love it so much. I love it so much. I learn so much. It makes me think. Ironically, I haven't been reading very much lately, <laughs> but but every week I'm shamed and we'll get back on, <laughs> on track. Yeah, what are we looking forward to in the new year with our podcast? What are we going to do? I mean, we have a couple episodes that are going to yes. be coming out that I'm very excited for. Like they they make my top 5 except for you all haven't heard them yet. Yeah, so so we talk just about them be today. excited. Yeah. Um there's a few folks that I I know there's a few books that I really want to feature and a few mm-hmm. special guests that I'm hoping we're able to have. Mm-hmm. Um I really want us to talk more about environmental justice and um mm. And I, I mean, I would love to have someone come on and explain my background is actually in climate change and having folks talk through like what climate change is and why it's happening mm-hmm. and what we can expect. Well, we're definitely going to have uh, Juliana, mm-hmm. you know, yep. from the she just emailed. Little Alvaro. Village and Vivi, Vivi mm-hmm. Moreno will also be on. Uh, Jason Lydon yep. is going to be on to talk Talking about, about anarchism, anarchism, which I don't. I, now I know better how to explain it. I'm hoping that we have someone talk about uh, Marxism, explain what yes, Marxism is, and please. communism and social. Like, what are All what do those things that specifically mean? Mm-hmm. Um, then big things like democratic socialism, like where you start mixing words mm-hmm. that I hear a lot and don't know what they are. Yep. Um, yep. I'm really determined to make Star Wars happen. <laughs> On this show. I am not as determined, <laughs> but I will trade you that for a Harry Potter conversation. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, my God, yes. Okay. I mean, that makes more sense because it's a book. Yes. Uh, and I think I have somebody who who was it? Can we do Hunger Games? Uh, oh, we should do Hunger Games, <gasps> too. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, maybe one. Oh, okay. Yes. Thinking This is, this is the magic of how it all happens. Okay. Also, we are going to do a live show yes. at an upcoming citywide exhibition that the organization that I'm a part of for the People Artists Collective, uh, we're having um, a live show, guest and book TVA, uh, but it's going to be January 26th. Uh, at the Hairpin Art Center, which is in Logan Square, and it's going to start at 6.30 p.m. So mark your calendar right now and get ready. I, I tried to do a cute sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of money. 
Uh, normally my calendar is right by me. Anyways, still awkward. What are you doing? What are you doing this uh, holiday season? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm gonna. So it's my birthday weekend. Yeah. It's me and my cat's birthday. Hey Basil. Um, and so my brother's in town. Yeah. My little brother. And then next I'll be headed back. I'm from Vermont, right? Originally, yeah. so I'm gonna head back um, and be with some fam for a while. Nice, nice. Catch up, write some curriculum, um, all kinds of good stuff. Nap. Hopefully read. What nice. about you? Um, I am going to chill out. I'm going to hang out in New York, actually, with Debbie's family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have a staff retreat with the Third Way Fund. Ooh, so in I'll, New York? In New York, yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it'll be like a big fun week in New York. That's going to be It'll fun. be great. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'll see you soon. Yeah, I'll see you really soon. Oh, my God. And, you know, for people that are listening, thank you so much for listening mm-hmm. and and giving us really great feedback and recommendations. We have, like, a big list of recommendations for books to talk about. Yeah. So look out for those in the new year. Um, if you want to be on the show and talk about a book that, like, really influenced your, your organizing and, and politics, like, hit us up. Mm-hmm. Email us. Let us know. Um, LitReviewChicago at gmail.com. That's right. You got it. And uh, yeah, if you and like Miriam said, we should have like thousands of sponsors. So if you want to yeah. be our third sponsor, you could totally do that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and I think we were talking about doing a Patreon soon. Oh yeah, yeah. which I didn't know what that was you until did. you explained it. So for folks like me who don't know what that is, you can subscribe. Yeah. And get special things. Yeah. You can subscribe for like maybe like $5 a month or something and you'll get like behind the scene conversations or like extended conversations. Maybe we'll send you some really cool like keep reading bookmarks. Mm-hmm. We're thinking coffee mugs, right? Like that'd be cute. That'd be make so some cute, right? Coffee mugs. Yes. Like, there's some cool shit you could probably get. So glasses. keep an eye out for this Patreon. Um, also just side note, like a little... Blo- uh, pitch for it. The best parts are usually when we stop record, like when yes. we hit the and we're done, yes. and then pe- we keep talking. Those are, those are the gold. gems. Those are golden, They're and gold. you want to hear those. Yeah, and parts. we're gonna like get better at pretending yes. to press stop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but there's something about the, the physical stop that yeah. like that you know I don't it know. relieves. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we but, won't uh, yeah. re- secretly record anybody. Don't worry. Yeah, you should no. come on our show and yeah. we will we will get your consent to record. <laughs> Um, Anyways, yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. 2018 is going to be great. I hope so because 2017 and 2016 sucked. So, (laughs) not my favorite. Let's, here's hoping to. Oh, and it's snowing out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Keep reading. Keep reading. (laughs) (laughs) I love our our thing at the end. I know.